section is from chapter 13, the last chapter of Hebrews. From verse 5, let your manner of living be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what shall man do to me. Lord, our God and Father, as we look into your word today, we pray that you would open it to us with fresh eyes and a fresh heart, that you would transform us into conformity with your perfect will, that you would make Jesus Christ alive to us, Lord God, so that we might follow him. And we thank you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So I've had a couple of uh, interesting weeks. We had this little conference that we had here over the last couple days and of course you get to meet new people and there's new conversations and I've had some with a few but you know one of the things that keeps coming up are like these questions and we've kind of been dwelling with these over the last few weeks number one is like self-definition and identity I meet so many Christians these days that they don't really define themselves by being a Christian they're still trying to figure out what being a Christian means for them there's a lot of different ways that people can define themselves, but, you know, it's kind of a fundamental question that in previous generations they had an easy time answering. Who are you? What are you? What is your meaning? What is your purpose for existing? So that no matter where you go and no matter what you do, that goes along with you, right? You know who and what you are in the person of Jesus Christ. In that verse that we're talking about today, when it gets into that idea of covetousness and the way that it changes the way we do things and the temptations that come from it, what, what is that? You know, automatically our minds go to the Tenth Commandment, and the Tenth Commandment is in many ways the internal psychological or moral key to the other nine commandments. I mean, if you think about it, the other nine are pretty simple. No other gods, don't use the Lord's name in vain, don't make images or idols, neither in the mind nor with the hands. Keep the Lord's day, no adultery, no murder, no stealing, no lying. They're pretty easy to just know as a rule. And then you get into covetousness and he kind of invades our space just a little bit, doesn't he? He says, internally regulate what you want and the inner desires of your heart, which is a tough one. And there's places where Jesus makes us very uncomfortable by letting us know most of the sins that you do are related to the internal workings of your heart and mind. 
You want things and you don't get them. You see your neighbor get them and you're mad at your neighbor. And so you steal and you bite and you scratch and you fall into all kinds of sins. Well, here's another thing that comes up in the Bible quite a bit, which is character development. Now, that's the modern words for it. Character is that old word that comes from the ancient Greek and the ancient Latin, which means to stamp something. If you've ever seen a stamp, it's a coin is a character. It has a face on it and it has a name on it. If you remember that famous conversation with the Pharisees where Caesar's face, his character was on the coin. And Jesus corrected them by saying, well, just give to Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God what's God's. What was Caesar's? The coin, it had his face on it. What was God's? Everything. Everything has his character on it. Everything has his stamp upon it. Well, you also have a character that changes through time. How many, you know, especially for you younger people, it's not lost on any of you that we expect you to have it all together by a certain phase of life, right? We don't expect it all today. You don't take like a six-year-old and say, okay, you're going to have to carry the family for a while, kid. Good luck with that. They're not ready, but you get to a certain place and we expect you to be an adult. And we expect you to take the things that you've learned that have become your character and carry them through life. There are aspects of you that stay the same through life, and there are aspects of you that change. And really, biblically speaking, you're supposed to be holier at the end of life than you were at the beginning. It's a learning, changing, growing, sanctifying process. And so this question of what do you intend to become, because really the idea that you're just passive in this and that you don't actually decide at some point in your life who you're going to be 20 or 30 or 40 years later, it's just completely false. No matter where you're at now, you're actively making decisions that are planning who you're going to be down the road. And so are those good decisions and are those wise decisions? Because we all have this inevitable appointment, right? We often bring up the statistics about people dying. What's the percentage? 100%, right? One out of every one person. You're not going to be the one that's going to buck the trend. So who do you want to be when you go to meet your maker? And really, you know, I don't mind telling you, I'll have a couple things that he's probably going to bring up. <laughs> you might have a couple too, right? Some things we need to work out. Just remember this phrase, I'm with Jesus, right? So we're all okay with the meeting. Just some stuff's going to come up. Secret things no one else you knows about. God knows about all that stuff. You might think, well, that's kind of private. I don't want God messing in my personal business. That's just not the way that works at all. But here's the thing. You do want to be ready to meet your maker with a clean conscience and clean hands. When people start to get into trouble, especially moral trouble going on on the internal aspects of their heart and mind, you will inevitably see that coming out in their interactions with other people. If you want to be free from distraction, if you want to be freer from different psychological impediments, if you want to be freer from vanity and jealousy and all these things that invade our hearts and minds, keep your hands pure. Keep your conscience clear before God. Because these things will eat on you and grate on you. You remember vinyl records? I guess they're making a comeback, but I love vinyl records, right? But do you remember what they were like six months after you got them, especially if you were a teenager? It sounded so good when you got it. Six months later, it was... Because it had a sandwich on it, and you put your drink on it, and kids were kicking it around, and, 
And dust, if you just leave it alone, a layer of dust comes over the top of it. And then, you know, your needle, it goes around and around that record. It has this trail of, like, stuff that comes up on there. And you've got to kind of get that out. That's kind of like our conscience in the accrual of time with one mistake and one harsh word and one harsh intention of the heart after another as they pile up on us through time. And we've kind of got to get clean. And we've kind of got to get under the blood so that our consciences can be unencumbered. So one of the most uh, interesting things was people's reaction to this place that we went over in, in, the, contra- in, in the conference. I've got several calls on it because nobody's ever heard of it. I keep, you know, it's the biggest archaeological find in the last 500 years, and nobody's heard of it. How many of you have heard of Goblaki Tet? Yeah, because you're at the conference. But <laughs> So here's, here's what happened, you know. Uh, as we go through these different archaeological things, the Bible's always right. They might not have found something that the Bible says, but if they do find it, it's exactly what the Bible said. The most famous of these things was for, from about 1800 to early 1900s, the liberal scholars were all denying that there was such a thing as a Hittite. They said the Hittites were mythology made up in the Bible. And then they found out that this amazing array of castles and ruins in the far north of Turkey were all the Hittite Empire. It was there sticking out of the dirt the whole time. And now the most attested ancient civilization, other than the Hebrews themselves from the old world, is the Hittites. There's literally hundreds of texts and documents and books written on the Hittites. We know more about them than anyone else. So we hadn't found it yet, which didn't mean the Bible was false, but when we found it, it's exactly what the Bible said. Because many times in the Bible, we have these conflicts between the Egyptians and the Hittites that are running back and forth over Israel. And Israel's kind of stuck in the middle of these two superpowers as they sweep back and forth to fight each other through Judah and even through Jerusalem. Uh, so there's these other things where now we can do things we haven't done before. Like we said the other day, the biggest problem with finding these things was that we just didn't have enough shovels. And you guys that have dug a hole, uh, how many of you guys have had to dig a big hole? Easy or hard? It seems easy until you're the one with the shovel, right? Like there was a couple of years ago, uh, we had this water pipe go out in front of the house. And so, you know, I had the guy come down, the guy comes in, oh, that's gonna be $5,000 to dig that hole. Like, are you kidding me, $5,000 to dig a hole? I said, well, bye, thanks for coming. Because I got kids and I got shovels, right? But I knew it was going to be a big hole. The difference between a three-foot hole and a six-foot hole is a big difference. So, you know, I get them out there. We spend three days digging a hole. We did, you know, Jim and I remember we, we did this once when, when I was a kid. You know, one of our pipes went out, and we had to dig a two-foot hole, but it was a trench that went all the way around the house to dig up a pipe. And we thought it was going to take like 15 or 20 minutes. Right there. We were out there for three days digging that trench to get that pipe out because my dad wanted to save 50 bucks on a backhoe. Uh, So the kids get out there and they dig this hole. And do you know they had a great time digging the hole? It was muddy and it was rainy and it was awesome. And they worked the first day and the second day and the third day. And then the way your brother came out because he was the one that told me how to dig the hole. And he came out in 15 minutes to fix the pipe. Fixing the pipe wasn't the problem. See, when I get a plumbing thing, I'm not going to fix a pipe. I'm not a plumber. I don't know how it works, right? But I know how to dig a hole. 
It's not that complicated. But does that mean it's easy? You get past like three or four hundred of these, you start getting sore, right? My, my bones and ligaments are not as young as they used to be. But I got little whippersnappers. And Tim came out and he jumped down in the mud hole. You know, he's a professional. He's like, tch, tch, tch. all right. He was out and it was fixed. Then we're just filling in the hole. Well, a lot of the things that we haven't found are just for lack of shovels. These days we have equipment and we have machinery and we have backhoes and we have bulldozers, but they didn't have those, right? You know what else we have? We have satellites. And the satellites can not only look at the earth, they can look sometimes beneath the earth and through the jungles and through the plants. And what they're finding is lost civilizations all over the face of the earth. Now, while this might sound strange to you, I'm not going to the aliens. <laughs> When you watch this on YouTube, you got to be careful what you watch on YouTube. Did you know that they actually let anybody stick stuff up there? <laughs> they do. They let, so a lot of them are like, there's these great civilizations and two and three hundred ton stones, and they don't know how they're removed, so they go straight to aliens. And I always think to myself, if the aliens came here from a different galaxy and they flew in their spaceship all the way here just to move our rocks around, they were. It's very anticlimactic to me personally. <laughs> I will believe a lot of things, but if you want me to believe aliens, you're gonna to have to do better than piles of rocks. That's just not what I'm looking for. Uh, so here's the thing. So they find this place, there's this goat herd, because it's always a goat herd, and he's out here on a hillside feeding his goats, and he's got this rock sticking up out of the ground, and he starts to dig on it, and then his family starts to dig on it. He thinks maybe it's something old, maybe it's something valuable. And then they get the university out, and they're digging on it, and they keep digging, and they keep digging, and they dig 10 feet into the ground which is no small feat. Then they get equipment, they go 30 feet into the ground, right? And eventually they dig out what they say is the oldest religious artifact temple in the history of the world. They're dating it at between seven and 11,000 BC. Older than the pyramids, older than Egypt, older than Stonehenge. Look at the size of these. They're not small. And then we get into the means of it. How can you actually bury something like this? So for the first 20 years after they found this, it's only like 22, 23 years old, they all said the same thing. And it really caught me. You know, I was in college when this like first came up, and I was like, really? Because here's what they said. Well, they must have wanted to get rid of it, so they buried it on purpose. Ah, uh, that's kind of tall, right? I know you filled in a hole, but that's like quite a hole. Uh, so all these guys get together with their wicker baskets and dirt and they bury this whole thing but then they put the lidar on it and they found out it's not the only one right around it there's seven to ten other ones and then they find out that there's roads that go out and it goes out for hundreds of miles in every direction and there's places like this all over that area for a thousand mile spread, uh, spread of land that there was an entire civilization, an entire people that were building these kind of things. One of the interesting things is these pillars, especially in this place. Now, this is the area that the Bible says the epic of Noah happened at, right? This is very near where Eden was supposed to be, where those rivers come together. And this is also the area where the Noah story happened. Uh, these pillars, they're shaped like men, and all of the men are carrying animals. And all of the others just have animals on them in every description. Everything from elephants to scorpions to all kinds. It's just a weird thing for them to find, right? 
But the ancientness of the civilization and the fact that it was buried under the earth for all these thousands of years and no one can find it, it's just stunning and breathtaking to the mind to apprehend these things. They were just walking around on top of it for three or four thousand years. Isn't that amazing? But the Bible did actually say that that area of the world was completely destroyed by a flood. Now, there's only two things that can bury an entire civilization that we know of, and it's not guys with baskets. One guy was joking about it. He was, a, he was like, how long would it take for them to bury this? And, you know, he's an atheistic scientist. He says, I'm figuring 11,000 years. One basket at a time. Uh, but it's volcanic activity. Volcano blows up, it can bury stuff, right? But they know it's not volcanic because it's not volcanic ash. It's sedimentary. The entire area was buried by some kind of a deluge and a flood all those years ago. Now, this isn't coming out of the Bible. This is coming out of the dirt. This isn't religion. It's just history. But that's where it all is. And so everything lines up with Scripture. So all through these years of history, it was all there and nobody could see it. But Christians already knew. Because their faith wasn't really in the sciences or what the archaeologists, archaeologists have found or what they haven't found. It was in the God of Scripture who's never wrong and never lies. When we get back to this, this sense of definition that we have within the context of history, we have all the things that we want to achieve. They're in us, right? And they're related to the ways that we want to be thought of by others. And this is what will wear us down and destroy us. There's a good aspect and temperament to you wanting to be well thought of by others. The Scriptures actually build it up, right? They say a good name is like golden apples in a setting of silver. But there's this other thing where you just want to be loved and you need others' approval too much and you need them to like you and you need them to approve of you. And this will wear you down and destroy you if you give it good opportunity. You have to watch always for wanting to be liked by other people too much. Now those of you that have lived a little while, has everyone you've ever met liked you? Isn't there like always this one guy that just does not like you? Now, if you focus not on the, the 500 people that love you, but the one that doesn't like you, I'm going to say that's a disordered issue. You can't need every person's approval. Not everybody's going to like you. Not everybody thinks you're funny. Believe it or not, not everybody thinks I'm handsome. <laughs> but also the ways we want to think about ourselves. This can do that, right? If God had wanted to make all of us rich and beautiful and movie stars. Couldn't he have done it? I mean, I don't know who'd be around to watch the movies if we were all that way, but he doesn't make us that way on purpose. Every once in a while, he raises somebody up and gives them special abilities and talents, and their, their, real, ish, their real purpose is to serve the rest of us in this way that brings us some kind of mild entertainment. But if God wanted you to be rich and powerful and the king and have your almighty rule over others, he would have done it. But it's not good for you. Did you see a lot of kings in the Bible that tended to do well? They don't do well. Most of the time, these are simple distractions from a clear mind, a clean conscience, and a daily and fruitful walk with Jesus Christ. Don't think too much about what you've got and what you don't got. Don't think too much about what other people think of you. Don't think too much about all the things you haven't done that you want to achieve. You just walk with God and he'll take care of all the stuff. And he's going to give you what he'll give you. And I can almost promise you, 
what he's going to give you is going to be better than anything you would have given to yourself. It's all going to be fine because he knows what he's doing with the universe. There's this place in Romans chapter 13, verse 11 that says, The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this one decree. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this, understanding the occasion. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. In this, you know, we, we go into these things like the laws. It can get pretty complicated. I know, you know, lawyers that have a hard time navigating Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. It's tough stuff, right? So every once in a while, here the Apostle Paul, but in other places, Jesus, he breaks it down to its essence so that all of us know what it is, right? It's love your neighbor as yourself, and everything will be fine. It's not that complicated. It's not that hard. In this, when we come together to take the Lord's Supper, we're submitting in a sense. By taking this meal, you're admitting that you're lost and in need of a Savior. That you need Him, and you need to feed upon Him and receive from Him, and He doesn't need you. There's these weird theologies that come through at times, you know. The, the, the gods of the ancient Greeks and the Romans, sometimes it was even thought that they gained their power through the worship of adherents. So some of the laws they had, the weird things they did, they wanted to make sure their god remained powerful, so they commanded that everybody worship him. Sometimes they did human sacrifices and that kind of thing. Then they had the god of the Hebrews that would say right out, I don't need none of you. Y'all ain't got nothing I need. Doesn't that make you feel good about God? He doesn't save you because he needs to. He saves you because he loves you. You're not giving him anything. He's giving you everything. He's not protecting himself. He's protecting and taking care of you. Now here when we get to this supper, it's not lost on us in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians that first the Apostle Paul talks about all the covetousness and grabbiness and angstiness within the congregation before he tells them to come and take the Lord's Supper. I don't want that to be lost on us because it's all through these different texts. Tell me if you see what I'm talking about here. In the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, which means they were a church. There was a real church with real people, with real faces and real names, just like this one. I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part because there must be factions among you in order that those that are genuine among you may be recognized. Now that's a powerful verse, but what he's saying is there must be separations and distinctions within and between churches. This is part of God's design. That there be one church on earth during this time of sin and veil of suffering and sorrow, and that we all be in it together, is not actually his design. It doesn't say that. It says sometimes you have to separate from folks. That's why there are different churches. Some people have called this the genius of Protestantism. Because we don't enforce rigid uniformity. We stay together on the essentials, but we give room for difference in the non-essential matters. When you come together, it's not for the Lord's Supper that you eat. In eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One gets hungry and another gets drunk, always feeding their appetites and power. What do you, well, don't you have houses and, to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. 
For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, we're going to stop there for now. But this is what he says as the prequel to coming together for this meal. Think about the way you've thought about others. Think about the way you've treated others. Think about the things that have gone on in your own heart and mind. So at this time, we're going to pray over the elements and then come and receive them. Lord God, our Father, we pray that you would take these elements of simple bread and simple wine and that you would separate them from a common to a sacred and distinct use. We know, Lord God, that there are only signs and symbols of your glory. And yet at the same time, Lord God, there's a relationship between the thing that is a sign and you who are signified by the sign. And so we thank you for this great blessing in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Please come and receive and we'll all partake together. that comes with that one. After that, I am Denny's husband. And she is my wife. After that, I am the father of my children. After that, 
I am part of this church. After that, less than that, I'm a minister of the gospel. Because the church comes before that. After that, actually, some of you might disagree with this, I'm an American. Because the gospel will last longer. And after that, I'm all these other things, right? But you have to know who and what you are when you approach this. That it is a declaration that you are a child of the living God. Right now. Right here. So when you go out and I say, don't think too much about what other people think of you. One reason is because often they will not think well of you. But what matters is what does your God think of you? When we say you shouldn't care too much what people think of you, it doesn't include God himself. That is the very reason for your existence. Always care very strongly what God thinks of you. Because if he says to you, well done, my good and faithful servant, nothing the world says will be able to touch you in any way. For I received from the Lord, but I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. In the same way, also, he took the cup after the supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Take and drink. Lord God, our Father, it's such an amazing and wonderful thing to be called by your name according to your purpose. We are your children, Lord God, your offspring in a lesser sense. We want to be like our Father who is heavenly, even though we are earthly. We pray that even as we grind this bread beneath our teeth, Lord God, and drink this juice, Lord God, and it goes down into us and becomes a part of our very being, that your spirit would inhabit us thus, would make us strong, Lord God, to go through this ordeal of the world and to come through to you unscathed, with clean hands and a clean conscience. When the scriptures say in Hebrews chapter 13, let your manner of living be without covetousness and be content with what you have, because you will never leave us or forsake us so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do to me. Take away this fear from us, Lord God. Give us the boldness of a lion because you are beside us. We thank you for this great blessing in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. People of God, please rise as we sing the next hymn in the hymnal. 308. Number 308. Michael and Ramona, would you mind coming up for me?
get into the service, I, I will probably forget. And sometimes we have many, many uh, prayer requests. But also, we wanted to pray for Anna and my mother Maggie right now. If you both come forward, please. Hey, Mark, are you around here? The only one I told was Mark, so surprise. Brandon? Of course, as you all know, uh, they're going to be taking a trip, and they're going to go off and have some adventures, and you will both be uh, sorely missed while you're away. But the Lord will be with you, and uh, will, will be your strength. Jerry, if you would like. I love it. Father, our God of heaven, we thank you so much that uh, we are privileged to, to come uh, this uh, boldly to this uh, throne of grace. And as we lift up uh, uh, Anna and her grandmother, we just pray, oh God, that you be with them as they journey into this great uh, experience. And we just uh, thank you that Anna is having this privilege. You have blessed her in so many ways. And to, through the blessing her, you have blessed us. And we are grateful and thankful. And as we keep, we just pray, oh God, that as they go into the, they wash of D.C., we, we know that it is a, a city of many dangers. And we just ask, oh God, that you be merciful to them both and keep them safe. And uh, as Anna experiences this wonderful, wonderful time uh, in, in the Congress, we just pray, oh God, that you will just uh, be with her and her grandmother and watch over them. Keep them safe. Bring them back to us safe with, with a wonderful testimony of their experience. And Lord God, we will give you the praise and the honor and the glory for it all. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. People of God, look up and receive the blessing. For your salvation is nearer than when you first believed. May the Lord your God bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen. Amen.